you go ahead and have a seat this morning. Well, I can see there must have been some good Packer parties going on yesterday, although there might be some people in deep depression today, I guess. Huh? Sorry. Sorry. When you're depressed, this is where you ought to be. Okay. So if you know any Packer fans out there, it could be a good witness opportunity. Well, we are uh, in a series of questions, and what we're trying to do is ask them uh, some, um, not just important questions, but the questions that are asked uh, so often, especially not just, you know, ones that we may ask, but um, uh, questions that especially those who just haven't discovered Christ yet uh, are, are asking. And uh, today is, is, I think, probably at least the first one, the, the, the number one question that when you, when you try to share Christ with somebody and, and, you know, you start getting really close and they start getting really nervous, I mean, this is kind of like the default question, kind of like the default out kind of question. Now, remember, as we're, as we're looking at these questions and, and answering them, we're, we're not answering the questions so that we can be politically correct. We're, we're answering the questions so that we can be biblically correct. And so we're just trying to discern from the scriptures and, and you know, get a, get a good, solid biblical perspective of, okay, so what's the answer and, and why does it happen and how can we then share that? And that's the goal, remember, is to equip you, if you're a, if you're a Christ follower already, with that ability to go ahead and answer the question, to be able to respond to these when you're sharing Christ with the people uh, around you. Or if you're in the room today and, and you're just, you're not, you know, sold out on Christ yet, you're just kind of wondering and... Uh, hopefully we'll be able to give you the answer today if you've got some of these questions, okay? Well, let's go to question number one. It's kind of the, the default uh, question. It goes something like this. If God is good, why does he allow evil, right? Heard the question before? Nobody's heard that question before, huh? Okay, well, let's skip to number two. Get out of here early. Uh, no, come on, I know you've heard that question before. I mean, the theory goes something like, uh, you know, okay, so you say uh, God is good. Well, you know, if, if God is so good, then how come all these terrible things happen in the world? You know, and you say, well, God is all-powerful. And, well, if God is all-powerful, then how come an all-powerful good God doesn't make sure that no bad things happen uh, in the world, right? I mean, that's kind of the... The theory that if, if God were good and if God were all-powerful, then none of this bad stuff would happen. And so obviously God must not be good or God must not be all-powerful and so on and so on, right? Well, here's the problem. The problem we have is that when you, you go to the scriptures, again, it just makes declarative statements about the character of God, okay? And so like in Luke 18, Jesus just makes kind of a, a declarative statement about the nature of God. And, and he says, no one is good except... God. Therefore, God is good. I mean, that's just a, a proclamation. It, 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 the scripture just says, look, the, the, God is good. It, it is just the nature. It is just the, the, the character of God. And, and part of the character of God is that, that God is just simply good. There's, there's no other answer. God is absolutely uh, good, right? And when it comes to the next one about the all-powerful, uh, scripture would say uh, the same thing. It would say, you know, not only is God good, but yeah, God is absolutely uh, all-powerful. So you go to Isaiah 40, and it says, so who will you compare me to? Who is equal to me, says the Holy One? Look up toward the sky. Who created everything you see? 
The Lord causes the stars to come out at night one by one. He gives each one of them a name. His power and strength are great, so none of the stars is missing. I mean, what Isaiah is trying to you know, describe is an image that just, just makes that declarative statement that says, are you kidding me? God is incredibly powerful. I mean, he made, look at the stars. And, and it, oh, by the way, every one of those stars has a name, right? I mean, that, that's how awesome and, and all-powerful uh, God is. So scripture just makes these declarative statements and says, look, here's the deal. God is good and God is all-powerful. Okay, so if God is good and God is all-powerful, then we're back to where we started, right? How come we have all this evil in the world and how come this good and all-powerful God doesn't just destroy evil. Well, here's the deal. The problem, God has boundaries that he puts on himself, right? And those boundaries simply are, God must act consistently with his character. He can't act outside his character. He, he has to be consistent with, with who he is and the nature of who God is. And we just established God is good. God is all-powerful and, and, and God is good. And so an all-powerful God can only use his power for the goodness of his character, right? He, he can't violate that principle. And that's really good news for us. Why? Because if he were to wipe out evil, it would mean he'd have to wipe out you and me. Now, we know this is true because... He came close to doing it once, right? But he, he couldn't do it completely because it would violate his character. And so you go to Genesis 6 and you go to the experience with Noah and the flood and everything that was going on. Look what it says in the very beginning. It says, The Lord saw how bad the sins of man had become on earth. All of the thoughts in his heart. How many thoughts? All. Total, totally consumed heart, right? All of the thoughts in his heart were always directed only toward what was evil. If God is going to destroy evil, guess what he has to destroy? You and me. Because that's where our hearts go. And for God to do that, see, he couldn't do it then either, because if you get down to the end, in verse 8 it says, But the Lord was pleased with Noah. See, he couldn't go all the way. Why? It would violate his character. Because God's character is he is a good God. He is a loving God. He's a compassionate God. He is a good God. And because he's a good God, he has great dreams and great purposes. His desire is to have an incredible relationship with each one of us in this room. His desire is to have an incredible relationship with every person who's out there this morning. His desire is to have an incredible, intimate relationship with every human being that walks the earth or ever will. And because that's his purpose, and because that's his good desire, he cannot act in a way that violates that desire. He can't wipe out evil, because it would mean he'd have to wipe out you. He'd have to wipe out me. He just simply can't do that. And, and so we can see what does God do. Well, well, God has to then put up with evil just like you and I do. He can't wipe it out because he cares too much about us. He has too many good things for us to do. And so what God does is he can't wipe out evil. Instead, he chooses to be engaged and to overcome evil by using it even for good. We get that example in, uh, in Genesis 50 with the experience of Joseph. 
Remember Joseph and the technicolor coat and his brothers, and they sold him into slavery, and you know the whole story, right? Well, when the brothers come before Joseph, Joseph looks at what happened in his life and the evil that took place, and he interprets what God was doing. He says, but Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant what? Evil, right? What were they participating in? Evil. What were they agents of? Evil. You see, just like in Noah. They meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. He's a good God. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is the incredible opportunity of God in our lives. That when evil comes into our lives, when evil informs our lives, when evil tries to take over our lives, God chooses not to destroy evil, but to be in the midst of it and empower us over evil. To be able to take those horrendous things that even happen in our lives that we look at and say, man, that was just evil stuff. And to even use that according to his purposes. Lamentations 3 kind of captures the summary of the answer of what I've been sharing with you so far. Lamentations says, the Lord loves us very much. So we haven't been completely destroyed. His loving concern never fails. His great love is new every morning. Lord, how faithful you are. Why doesn't he just destroy us? Because he loves us. He just can't do it. It's his nature to to love us and want this incredible relationship with us. And because he loves us and wants this incredible relationship with us, he just can't do it. And so instead, he chooses to enter into the evil. If you look at uh, Luke, you can hear Jesus responding even to the situations that, that are beyond our control or not necessarily as a result of our actions. So, so you may be sharing this with somebody and they say, well, okay, okay, okay. But what about things like Hurricane Sandy? What, you know, what, what about Katrina? What about all that catastrophe and evil and suffering that's going on? I mean, that wasn't just some person doing some horrific thing. Well, what about that? Right? Well, Jesus refers to that situation in Luke 13. Uh, and he cites a couple instances where some just horrible, horrendous things happened. Right? He says, so these people from Galilee suffered greatly. Do you think they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? I tell you, no. But unless you turn away from your sins, you will all die too. Or what about the 18 people in Siloam? They died when a tower fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you turn away from your sins, you will all die too. He looks at two instances and he says, listen, this is horrible thing happened. And it wasn't anybody's fault. It's just this horrible, this tower fell on 18 people. Do you suppose it fell on those people because they were somehow just really evil people? His answer is, no. No. They're just like us. They are participants in the experience of living in a world that is marred and broken by the power of sin. And in a broken and a sinful world, these things happen. It's the nature of the way it is when the world is influenced by evil and when sin has entered the world. It has infiltrated the fabric of creation. Let let me give you an example. One day, uh, one of my sons uh, decided he was going to be just this really helpful young man in our house. 
and he decided he was going to clean out our fireplace, you know, natural fireplace. He decided he was going to clean out our fireplace. Good thing, right? Cool. The only trouble is, somehow he didn't get the message that the way you clean out our fireplace is to go into the basement and clean out the fireplace from the basement. You know how it goes down in the basement? You get all the schmutz and stuff all over the floor and nobody gives a rip, right? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't do that. Instead, he decided to clean out the basement right there in the, or clean out the fireplace right there in the family room. Okay? So you know what I have in my family room now? I have a big rug right in front of the fireplace that covers the big, dark spot that's underneath the rug. Why did that happen? Well, because he tried to do a good thing, but it ended up that he spilled ash into the rug, right? And so now I get a dark spot. Well, I mean, I've had carpet cleaners in there, and I said, listen, I got this spot here. Can you, whatever it does, can you get that out of there? I don't like it. I mean, I've had, you know, doused it in woolite carpet cleaner. I mean, I've scrubbed it. I've vacuumed it. I've done everything I can think of to try to get this thing out of there. But guess what? It's still there. Why? Because the ash, the death of the ash, has simply infiltrated the fabric of the carpet. That's the way it is when sin entered the world. It just infiltrated the fabric of creation. And now you and I and God are left with the reality of that in the world. And because that's in the world, towers are going to fall on 18 guys. Because we all participate in the experience of a broken world. The hope we have is what Paul says. Paul says that's the way the world is, but here's the hope. And, and here's the good news for us. It is that we all know this, and we know that for those who love God, all things, even those catastrophes, even the evil that works in our lives, all of that stuff, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Notice the last part, part called according to his purpose. When you're on purpose... When you're living your life in a purposeful way according to what God wants to be and do in your life, God is going to use every experience in your life, even the tough ones, even the evil ones, even the ones when the tower falls on you, for his purpose. That's what Paul says. That that is where our confidence lies. Our confidence lies that evil can be in the world because God is greater than that. That's what Jesus reassures us of in John 16. He knows the score. He knows evils in the world. He faces it head on, right, in Jerusalem on that hill on a cross. And before he does that, he says in John 16, I've told you these things so that you can have peace because of me. In this world, you will have what? Trouble, right? That's the way it is. Broken world. He gets the score. It's in the fabric. In this world, you will have trouble. But cheer up. I have won the battle over the world. He's won the battle. See, we can experience this. We can go through this. We can endure this. We can overcome this because we know the answer to the question. God will not destroy evil because he wants an incredible, vibrant relationship with us. And because of that incredible, loving, compassionate, and powerful, vibrant relationship with us, he is willing to enter into evil with us. He is willing to enter into catastrophe us. And he is willing to empower us to endure and overcome because we know he's already won the battle. 
He's already won the battle. And evil one day will be no more. When he wipes away every tear and we gather around the throne of heaven forever. So, how can a good God have evil in the world? Because he wants to have an incredible, loving relationship with you so that your life becomes a powerful impact for the kingdom of heaven. And he will endure evil because of it. Okay? Pretty good answer. You go to the next one then because people say, oh, all right, all right. Well, so tell me this. So there's evil in the world and God's going to judge that evil. So you tell me. You just said God was good and he was all powerful. So how can a good God who is a loving God, that's what you just told me, how can he send anyone to hell? Okay. Where do we start? Well, Ezekiel would have us start and say, back up, wait a minute, understand the character and the desires of God. Ezekiel says, listen, this is the character and the desire of God. He wants to have that vibrant, incredible relationship with each one of us. And he doesn't want anyone to experience eternity without him. It's not within the concept of God that any one of us or anybody you know could spend eternity apart from him. Ezekiel says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? What's his desire? His desire that not one person you know, not one person who sets foot on the earth, not one person who walks the ground will experience eternity without him. That's his desire. You can see it again in Matthew 23 when Jesus actually weeps over Jerusalem, that he exemplifies this desire. He's standing on the Mount of Olives. He's looking down over Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and throw stones in order to kill those who are sent to you. Many times I've wanted to gather your people together. I've wanted to be like a hen who gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not let me. What's his desire? His desire is to be like that hen that just just gathers everybody in, in that incredible, loving, compassionate, vibrant relationship with him. His desire is that not one person would be lost. Not one person would be missing. Not one person would know life without him. Get it in 2 Peter. The Lord's not slow in doing what he's promised, the way some people understand slowness, but God is being patient. Why? He doesn't want anyone to be lost. But he wants all people to change their hearts and their lives. You see, the idea that God would send someone to hell is contrary to God's purpose. God doesn't want one person, not one person, to experience an eternity without him. So how does this whole hell thing work then? So how come we can say some people experience eternity apart from Christ? Here's the problem. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us why hell exists, okay? It says, then the king will say to those on his left, go away from me. You will be punished. Go into the fire that burns forever that was prepared for who? The devil and? Do you see anywhere there that it was prepared for for anybody but the devil and his angels? Absolutely not. It was prepared for God's enemies, That's what hell's there for. 
Hell was prepared for those who stand over and against in our enemies of God. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. So what's the problem? The problem is when we disobey God, when we're like Jerusalem and we throw stones at the prophets, and when we're like Jerusalem and we refuse to obey his word, when we push God out of our lives, when he's trying to be a mother hen gathering the chicks in, when we push him away, we push ourselves into eternity without him. He doesn't put us there. We do a great job of doing that ourselves. He doesn't push us into hell. We do. Let me give you an illustration. It's the best one I could come up with on this one, right? So uh, you all know what this is, right? Nobody else owns one of these? Sure. This is a rat trap. It was made to catch what? Rats, right? It was made to get rats, okay? Its designer, the guy that came up with it, the guy that put it all together, designed this thing for the sole purpose of catching rats. That's its purpose. That's what it's there for. But you know what? If I take this thing and I load it up with peanut butter, because I think that's what they like better than anything, don't you? Yeah. If I load that baby up with peanut butter, by the way, I take a match and heat mine up too a little bit. Anyway, you put this thing outside, okay? You put this thing outside, and what's going to happen? Well, I may catch some rats. But, you know, I got this cute little squirrel out in my front yard. I put this thing out here. I mean, even if I put a, put a sign out and says, Squirrels, stay away. This is for rats. Or even if I send my kids out there and they, they shout from the front stoop and, they, and they, they say like the prophets, Squirrels! Don't go there. Don't go near the trap. It's not for you. Squirrels, stay away from the trap. If that little squirrel decides he wants the peanut butter, what's going to happen when he sticks his nose into the peanut butter? Kathunk. No more squirrel. Why did that happen? Not because I pushed the squirrel there. Not, not because the designer of the trap made the squirrel go there. It's simply because the squirrel decided to go there himself. Get it? That's hell. It's not designed for you. It wasn't made for you. It wasn't made for anybody you know. But when you push God away, you push yourself into it. When those around you decide they know better over their life than God does... But when those around you refuse to receive the good news and the grace that God desires for them, then they push themselves away from God and into that experience. Why? Because we also know about the character of God. That God is not just a good God, a compassionate God, a loving God, a merciful God, but He is also a fair and just God. And so Hebrews can say, so surely we also will be punished if we ignore this great salvation. If we ignore it, if we push it away, we just push ourselves into that condition of eternity without Christ. It's not God's desire. It's what we do to ourselves. Remember, God's desire, as we answered question number one, is he wants to have a vibrant, loving, forgiving relationship with absolutely every single person that walks the earth. And he doesn't want one person 
that you know or will ever meet to spend eternity without him. So what happens? We answer question number one, we answer question number two, and we're, we're sharing with somebody, and as we're sharing it with that somebody, that somebody's starting to feel like, ooh, this is making sense, but I don't want to receive it, and so what's the next question they ask? Usually it's this one. They say, well, okay, what about the guy that's never heard the gospel? What about the guy that's never heard about Christ? Is God going to throw him into hell? You heard that question before? Yeah, I mean, this is like supposed to be the ultimate gotcha question, right? So what about the one that's never heard? Oh, okay, all right. Well, Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has made everything beautiful in his time and that, that God has also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a, a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages with nothing under heaven but God alone can satisfy. Yet so that men cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What's the summation? Ecclesiastes is saying, listen, when God wired us, when God made us, when he fashioned and formed us, he made us with this desire for a relationship beyond ourselves, for a relationship with him. And so whoever that person is out there that's never heard the gospel, as part of their wiring, as part of who they are, is this desire to be in relationship with someone greater than themselves. Ecclesiastes says, look, that, that's the way we're wired. That's the way we're made. Now, now we balance that with Romans number 2 that says, well, now God shows no partiality, no undue favor or unfairness. With him, uh, one man is no different than any other, right? All who have sinned without the law will also perish without regard to the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged and condemned by the law. So what? So everybody, God's fair and just. It's a his character. So we have desire to be in relationship with God, and yet God is fair and just, and so everyone will be in that same experience, whether you've heard the gospel or not heard the gospel. Where does that leave us with an answer? Well, if this will go forward. Guys, can you click me forward, please? Thank you. Um, so where does that leave us? It leaves us in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy says, this is good and pleases God, uh, our Savior, who wants what? Everyone to be saved to understand the truth. What does he want? He wants that person who today has not heard the gospel and heard the good news about Jesus. He wants that person to hear it. That's what he wants. He wants everybody to hear about Jesus. What's the problem? The problem is the assumption of the question is a bad assumption. They think they got us because they assume a time is going to come when God's going to come back and there's going to be somebody that hasn't heard. We don't know that. that that's, not, that's not in the scriptures. In fact, if you click me ahead, guys, in the, in the scriptures in Matthew 24, it says, This good news of the kingdom will be preached where? In the whole world. In the whole world. In the back of the Amazon, wherever it is. This message is going to be preached in the whole world. It will be a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. You see, don't underestimate God's desire of where we started today. Don't underestimate God's desire to have a vibrant, incredible relationship with absolutely everyone in the earth. That is his desire, and he will seek that out before he comes. And so when someone tries to say, well, what about that guy? You know what the real answer is? The real answer is, listen, are you really concerned about the guy who's up the Amazon that haven't heard yet? 
What about you? Have you heard the gospel? Have you heard how much God loves you that he would give up his own son so that you could have a new life and forgiveness? See, the real question for the guy that asks you that is not about the guy in the Amazon. God's going to take care of the guy in the Amazon. The real question is, what about you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace that uh, will we'll not let one stone be unturned, but that you will seek us out. And Lord, in these, these times of uh, challenges, when we see the, the creation just marred by sin and, and the difficulties and the calamities, and, and we know the power of evil that tries to take over our lives as well as the way it exerts itself in the lives of others. Father, we just come to you and ask for your grace. Be that loving God that you are. Be that loving God that you are. And be in the midst of our challenges to help us overcome, to be a powerful people in this time and this place that stand for you, that answer the questions and say, you are a good God. You are a good God. And we know it because you love us. We pray it in Jesus' name.